How did the early church grow from a small, unknown group of Jews to a staggeringly influential force for good in the Roman Empire? They had no political power, rarely traveled outside their own nation, and had little to no money. How did the early Christian community spread? They bought the freedom of slaves. They cared for the poor and sick, and they gave their lives with joy and gladness for their Savior. In short, their lives were more attractive and compelling than anything anyone had ever seen. They went against the grain. They stood up for what they believed in. They loved like they meant it. They were countercultural. How can we be the same? Living, giving, and loving differently. Yeah, there you go. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here with us today. Thrilled to see you. If you're a first-time guest, if you're a long-time member, or if you're joining us via the podcast this morning, so glad you're listening in. We're about to get to something really amazing this morning in just a bit, as you'll see, what we're calling our Live Big Sunday. So I hope you're excited about that. This morning, as you saw, we're starting a brand-new teaching series for the month of November called Counter Culture, and we're looking at the ways in which the gospel calls us to live to give and to love differently. And if you're new to CCC, if this is your first time here, if your friend drug you here this morning, right about now you're saying, I knew it. I come here, they're going to talk about giving. I knew it. Classic. I haven't been at church in forever, and now this is what the message is about. So if that's, if that's you this morning, if you're, if you're feeling that way, let me just say, of course, on one hand, your, your apprehension is understandable. You know, many people, many churches have done a very poor job of handling this very difficult topic. But secondly, on the other hand, well, let me just say, we're also hoping we can regain your trust in that area as well. But secondly, on the other hand, it's never a wise course of action to apologize for something that Jesus talked a lot about. And he talked more about money than he ever did about hell and about sex. And we talk about those things here, too, because we talk and teach the Bible and primarily most about Jesus. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, man, I just wish I could have lived in the first century, you know, and, and met Jesus and had him come up to me and talk to me about my life. Statistically speaking, if the Gospels are true, and they are, the thing he would most likely talk to you about personally today, right on your chair, is about your money, <laughs> about your financial life, all right? So the moral of the story is this, be careful what you wish for, careful what you wish for. So let's look with that in mind at the passage on which this very simple teaching is based this morning. It's very simple, and you'll see it's from the book of Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Brethren, Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load." The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then... 
while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that's God's word to us this morning. And as we get going, let me just encourage you to take notes. You know, you got a connection card or you got a, a little thing on the way in. You can fill it out, write some stuff on it. Who knows? You just may learn something today against all odds. So with that in mind, let me just encourage you to say, help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. All right. Some of you grew up in that tradition. Some of you didn't. We embrace it all here. All right. I receive your help. All right, so let's ask, what's going on here in Galatians 6? Well, Galatians is a fascinating letter written to a group of churches in the first century in an area called Galatia, which is sort of like a state in the Roman Empire. And in those churches, some false teaching had taken root that led many to believe that a person was only right in God's eyes if they were physically circumcised. I'll let that sink in for you for a moment. Now, besides sounding incredibly painful, that also sounds incredibly pointless because as this isn't, thankfully, it's not a topic of debate for us today in the modern church. And the letter of Galatians, though, is Paul's response to that thought, saying, no, what what makes a person right with God is nothing that they do on the outside, but only the faith that they have in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that was deeply countercultural then deeply controversial then and it is for us today as well and in many ways if you didn't know it this letter actually is the main reason that this church exists today because this was the letter that sparked the protestant reformation and so now paul here he's come to the end of this letter and he's giving instructions on how to show that this countercultural message has changed a person's life Okay? He's talking about how to live in a way to show the surrounding culture that Jesus is real, that the gospel has invaded your life, that you've been transformed at the very center of yourself. And here at the end of the letter, as he commonly does, he's giving instructions on how to live that kind of life. And now he's going through these, and he takes a brilliant four-verse kind of detour that lays out how the Christian community approaches living, giving, and loving. In it, he gives us this morning two traps and then a test when it comes to our giving. How does he lay these out? It's like this. He says, first, don't be deceived. Secondly, don't be discouraged. But instead, number three, do for one. And we'll look at each of these in turn. Now, just a brief spoiler alert here as we get going. There's going to be some tough stuff at the beginning. There's going to be some turbulence. You may feel the plane shaking. If your chair starts to sort of vibrate beneath you, just grab and hold on. We're going to get through it. Okay, and then there's some fun stuff near the end. We'll get to that, but hang in there with me through the beginning. All right, here we go. Number one here from Paul's four-verse detour. He says, number one, when it comes to money, when it comes to your giving, he says, don't be deceived. He says there's a trap here, in other words. What is it? Of course, deception. The first trap, when it comes to how a person gives, is simply this. It's deception. He says, don't be deceived. Don't think that you, as a Christian, cannot give financially and think it won't negatively affect your life with God and your relationship with others. Now you'll be saying, Morgan, you know, in the next verses it talks about sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit. There's no specific mention of money here. Aren't you just being like every other preacher who's just reading money into every verse? Well, in a way, yes. In a way, no. All right. You can laugh. 
So now, while money and dollars aren't specifically and explicitly mentioned here, when Paul talks about sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping are a consistent financial metaphor used throughout the Bible, and specifically over in 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul uses these same words, when he applies them specifically to money, and he says this, he says, now I say this, that he who sows sparingly, he means money, will also reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Does it sound the same as Galatians 6? Yeah, it should, because it does. Why? Because nowhere does the Bible take the approach that what you do with your money is anything less than completely spiritual. Every dollar you spend is a result or an outflow of a specific financial spiritual priority you have. So if you come to this passage and you think for a moment that your financial world is not included in what Paul says here, you're simply not reading closely enough. Put it like this. Do you think Paul would say to you now, the Christian today, you know that bit I wrote about in Galatians 6 at the end, you know, when it's, and I said, whatever. You know that whatever meant everything except your money. <laughs> when I said whatever you sow, it meant everything except your financial world. No, of course. He didn't mean that. Now, we wish it did. We wish we could get away from the law of sowing and reaping. We wish because we're Americans in a consumer culture. We wish that we could just walk with Jesus and never have it touch our checkbook or pocketbook. We want a theology that somehow allows us not to give. We don't like this, but that's why Paul says, don't be deceived about it. God's not fooled. You can't pull a fast one on him. It comes to how you give. So let's ask, how do most people give today? Hmm? How do people, or how would people give in a way that would cause them to think that they're fooling God? Well, here's how. Most people give and think in terms of dollars. Think in terms of dollars or euros or pesos or talents or denarii, whatever the modern currency is. But the Bible never talks about dollars. It only speaks in percentages. It only speaks in percentages. We think dollars matter. $20 here, $50 here. But dollars never impress Jesus. Only percentages ever move his heart. And here's how I know that many American Christians only think in terms of dollars. This is from Uncle Sam. Congratulations. From the U.S. government. Statistically speaking, the richer you are, the less that you give. The more an American makes, in other words, the richer an American is, the less they give. And this is what the statistics show. So that the average American today, average income is around $50,000. And those that are in that income range give around 6% of their income. But in general, as an American's income goes up, their giving goes down. When the average American reaches an income level of around $200,000 or more, their giving drops to 4%. As they approach $500,000, it drops to 2%. And at an income level of over $1 million, their giving level drops below 1%. Yeah, it's a while there, isn't it? The tendency is, therefore, for all people over time, as their income grows, to give away less and yet still think, I'm a generous person. Hmm? A millionaire, can you see, may give away more actual dollars than someone who makes $50,000, but it's far less of a percentage. Now, what would you call a person who, the more they make, the less they give, and yet still hang on to the belief they're a generous person. What would you call that person? Deceived. Yeah, that's why Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Paul is saying, listen, there are those of you out there who 
are deceived, you think you can sow only to your flesh. That means give to your life and your, and your own body and your own time and your own kids and your own 401k and your own retirement and your own vacation. And you think God is pleased with that. See, he says, you can't think that way. Now, I know this is tough. It's just tough. Is your seat shaking yet? There's a little tense in here. That's okay. Let's ask, why can Paul talk this way? How can he talk this way? What gives him the right? Hmm? Is Paul just here? Is he, you know, angry at the 1% in the churches in Galatia? Is he just getting up on his apostolic high horse to beat the sheep that give to the budget in the building? No. There's no mention of budget here. No mention of building here. Then how can he call people out like this? Well, here's how. Paul can speak to these churches this way and speak to your heart today because from the very beginning of Christianity, a different kind of standard, a different way of giving, a countercultural approach to money was central to the message of Jesus. Think about it. You all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave, he gave, yeah. He sowed into you, right? He gave, not expecting anything in return. He gave to you, sowed the seed of life into you. When you were still walking in darkness, he sowed to the Spirit, can you see? And the result was what? Eternal life. You, me, people, human beings, knowing God. He gave everything when you could give him nothing. And you ought to say amen to that. And if anything, therefore, ought to shape us and move our hearts today and shape us, it's that thought. If anything ought to call us to more greatness, it's that thought right there. I would rather have this church, hear me, in Austin, Texas, be known more for our generosity than we're ever known for our theology, as critical as theology is. I would rather have us known for how much, me, how much we give far more than I would have us be known for how much we know. I would rather have us known for how much, hear this, we live the gospel more than just how much we know about the gospel. I would rather have us be known by outsiders and for our character and our work ethic and our commitment to one another and our families and our generosity more than whether or not we just go to a church and believe the right things as non-negotiable as those things are. I want to hear, and I hope you do too, I want to hear employers all over the city saying, I may not want to be one, but I want to hire one. I may not want to go to that church, but I want to work for one. Hmm? I'd rather have people say, you know what, those people there at that church, they're the most faithful, they're the most kind, they're the most selfless people I've ever met. I've got to work for one or hire one. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and this hasn't been your experience, let me just offer you an apology. Let me just say, I'm sorry. That is shame on us. This is just us trying to work out this Galatians 6 thing and get the message of the gospel right. All right. Therefore, here is the trap for Christians. And by the way, if you're not a Christian this morning, this doesn't apply to you. You can relax. Just take the next couple minutes off. Kind of look into what we're going to talk about. But if you're a Christian, getting this part right is non-negotiable for you. Here's the trap. The trap is you think you can love God, experience the heart of God without giving generously financially. Hmm? Do you want to reap eternal life? Yeah, you should say yes. You want to look more and more like Jesus. We sing it all the time, right? Then how we give ought to reflect that. You know, there's a thought that's pervasive today that says this. 
All that God wants for me in a church is to come and sing songs to him and sit in his presence and go to more prayer meetings and lead more small groups. But yet, God doesn't care about what I do with my money. Now, what's that? What's a form of spiritual bribery in the same way that someone who just writes big checks but says, I never want to go to a church. I don't want to take the time to get in God's word. I don't want to sit in his presence. I don't want to be involved in community is also attempting to bribe God. The one person thinks, I gave, so I don't need to spend time with God. The other one thinks, I spent time with God, therefore I don't have to give, right? It's two sides of the same coin. They both come from the same place. God, you can only come this far in my life, right? It's too painful for me to do one or the other, so I'm not going to do it. Listen, if you're a Christian, this is the good news for you. God's not after just your time or your money. He's after both. <laughs> He's after both. Why? Because how you use both shows the world whether or not you're living in a way that's counter-cultural. See, not giving, but claiming to be spiritual is the first trap. It's deception. And friends, church, I know this is tough. In one sense, it gives me no pleasure to press this deeply onto your heart. But in another way, because I love you and because our leadership team here loves you and is for you, because we don't want anything from you, but only something for you, we want you, like Paul wanted for his church, to be free from the trap of deception when it comes to your giving. All right? That's the first trap. Don't be deceived. But he goes on and lists another trap, a second trap. When it comes to our time and giving, though it looks different, can still leave us in the same place. And it's this number two. Don't be discouraged, he says. And this is the verse. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. So what's the trap? Well, it's easy to see. It's discouragement. Why is this? How does discouragement a trap like this? Once you've decided you're going to be a generous person, once you've decided, you know what, I'm going to percentage give, once you decided I'm not going to fall under the first trap, once you decide, you know what, I'm going to sow generously, the first thing you're going to run into, that we all run into, is this, the overwhelming and staggering need of the world. Because if it was true in Paul's day that people could get discouraged, I believe it's even more true in our world today. Because today, in contrast to Paul's day, we know about every major national and international disaster that goes on. We've got a 24-hour news cycle where we see pictures, we hear stories of shootings in other countries, tsunamis, earthquakes, outbreaks of sicknesses, diseases, sex trafficking, death, poverty of all kinds. I mean, how do we respond to all of that? If you're a relatively compassionate person, hmm, what do you do with that? If you're relatively compassionate, you think, man, I'm never going to turn on my television again. I'm never going to watch the news again. Why would I? There's only story after story of terrible tragedy followed by massive disaster. Man, I'd rather just Netflix binge for the week, right? Then there's the stuff that just happens in your own city or your own neighborhood. There's the car accident, maybe, that claimed the life of your friend. There's a couple you've known for 20 years that's divorced. There's the sick kid who just won't get well. There's the parent or the grandparent now you've been sort of thrust into caring for. And then just speaking personally for me today, because I work in a church of around 600 folks or so, there are literally daily tragedies and bad things that happen to people. Every morning, this is my life, I wake up to my Bible and other people's pain. 
It's just what I do. And I get frustrated because I realize at a certain moment, at a certain time, a certain point, I really can't do much about any of it. I can't fix people's problems fundamentally. And like you, I've been also been to some really poor places in the world. I've seen some of the most abject poverty, slums, horrible living conditions. It's beyond the power of even the richest person to change. You may think, Morgan, I'm going to give all my money to that. It's going to change it. No, it won't. I mean, Bill Gates, you think he could fix Sudan, the Congo? No. A long time ago, you know, poverty, diseases, the only ones that you saw were ones that were in your own neighborhood, right? The only around your area. 200 years ago, if a, God forbid, a massive earthquake hit Southern California, we'll pray it doesn't love. That's my wife from Southern California. If it hit there, you'd never even hear about it right? Maybe you would if you saw, you know, a newspaper article in a town that you lived in that just happened to have a newspaper. Not all would. And that's just in your own nation. I mean, if 10,000 people perished in a tsunami on the other side of the world, you'd never even hear about it. And today, as a result of all of this, our souls, our consciences bear the weight of so much more psychological and emotional pain than people ever used to hundreds of years ago. And in some ways, we were never meant to. See, only God's soul is, is, is capable of bearing the weight of the world. But what are we going to do with all of it, huh? What are we going to do? We can't just shut it off. We can't just ignore it. We're Christians. We've got to do something. And that's why Paul says what he says. He's saying, I know some of you. You're watching the news too much. Or maybe this, you're actually really involved in the world, and you just see it for what it is, and you're discouraged. You've run up against un accountable, unquantifiable pain, and you're losing heart. You're discouraged. But he says, you can't quit, right? You can't give up. That's the second trap. If you stay discouraged, you'll never give anyway. You'll just quit, right? So that's the second trap. Don't be discouraged. On one hand, he says, don't be deceived. On the other hand, he says, don't be discouraged. So what are we supposed to do with this? hmm? How can we respond? Well, here's what you do. And he gives us a solution, thankfully. He says, number three, do for one. Do for one. So then, he says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is saying this. I know you can't do for everyone. I know you can't help everybody. But when you have the opportunity, it's the Greek word kairos. It means time. More specifically, a moment. When you've got a moment, you can do for someone. This says all people. It means each man, literally. There's an individual. There's an individual moment, an opportunity you may get to help somebody. And when you have it, he says, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Don't be deceived, right? Don't be discouraged. Make a difference. Make a difference. How? Starts by knowing and living this thought right here. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. Or to put it another way, put it like this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, this flies in the face for a lot of what passes as popular logic today. It flies in the face of what you heard a thousand times as a kid. And it made you really mad. You heard this when you were a child. You heard, if I do it for you, I've got to do it for everybody. That's right. And what did you think when you heard that? You thought, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. You could actually give me that piece of candy. You really could. You, you could let me into your deal. You know, come to your party or for free to the show or whatever. And, and what did you hear? You heard, if I do it for you, I've got to do it for everybody. And you hated it. 
when you were a kid, you knew it didn't make sense, but now that you're an adult, you say it anyway. And I hate that phrase, and you ought to just get rid of it and not say it anymore. Carrie and I never say it in our own home. People say this because they think it's fair. But guess what? Life's not fair. If you want fair, the fair's in October. That's what my seventh grade science teacher used to say. We used to say, Mr. Schaeferman, you're giving us too much homework. He said, you know what, son, the fair's in October. Life is 100% not fair. Think about this. Did you know some people were actually born with all four limbs that work and some aren't? How fair is that? Some people were actually born with a kind of skin color that allows them to be not fundamentally discriminated against for most of their life. Listen, life's not fair. Justice and fairness are two separate things. We should always strive for justice, but fairness, man, you can forget about. Listen, we teach our kids from the beginning. Life's just not fair. I tell my boys, I said, son, if I want to give another cookie to your sister because she's cuter than you are, I'm just going to do it. It's not fair. I'm just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Paul's telling us here when you've got a moment an opportunity for to do for someone what you wish you could do for everybody do it don't be a, don't be excuse me don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed by greed or by need by your own greed internally or by the need of the world externally don't be deceived don't be discouraged no make a difference do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because what most of us do is this. I can't do for everyone, so I'll just do for no one. And you know what? That's true. You've treated everyone fairly, but yet you've treated no one biblically. No one biblically. Forget fair. As you've got opportunity, church, let's do good. And I understand this is so tough to figure out sometimes. As a pastor, I'll let you into my life today a bit. I get almost daily requests for help, for needs, for financial gifts, financial offerings, support of ministries or causes or organizations. My email inbox and my box at church are just full. It could be like a part-time job, seriously, responding to all the requests and all the needs that are out there. And therefore, I could just say this, well, I can't help everybody. It's beyond the scope of me or this church to help everybody. So we're just going to do for no one. We can't say that. We can't do that. We're Christians, right? But we can do for one what we wish we could do for all. And if you're new here, you're new to this church, one of the things that's amazing about you, about this church, is simply its generosity. In San Luis Potosi, Mexico, there's an orphanage that runs exclusively on our giving, our money. Many of these children would likely have been kidnapped and forced into sex slavery if it weren't for the direct financial intervention of people who may never meet them. And if you're here and you're one of the monthly supporters of Casa Villada, would you just raise your hand this morning? We'll get a look. Yeah, you have changed the world. You've healed the world through your giving. Our Kai Street ministry team ministers to the homeless community, as you heard from the video, in Austin here, meets uncounted needs. And it's tough sometimes. One of those members of our homeless community passed away this week here at the church. Now, I'm so grateful to be in a place of such diversity like that. You could go to a church where the homeless aren't wanted and loved and prioritized, but they are here, and they always will be. As a matter of fact, as I was praying to this message, I began to think about 
all the amazing things that so many of you do on an individual level. Uh, Joel Hayes, who's a member here, runs, no pun intended, the Chosen Marathon, which has raised over the last few years more than half a million dollars to help families adopt in Central Texas. How many of you ran in that last week? And a few of you are here who ran or walked in that. Brett, yes, Brett's got his ribbon. Uh, there's a couple of Chris and Dina Moore adopted two children. Matt and Bethany Smith just went halfway around the world to adopt more kids. And they keep adopting. They won't stop. Dr. Lance and Leah Hargraver in the first service. She, uh, for her anniversary, instead of upgrading her wedding ring, which she could, her husband's a doctor. He makes good money. Says, you know what? I'm going to put that towards adopting a child who's got no family. See, many of you are doing things like this. You're like me. You're a mentor over at Live Oak Elementary School. You work in organizations and charities, and that's fantastic. So many things you do, and so many things this church does. Listen, we support, I think, somewhere around 14 missionaries around the world, and we single handedly make Casa Viado go. We give to other ministries, other causes, other churches, not just this one. There's a church plant we just started supporting last month in Toronto, Canada. I'll be going to visit that in a few weeks and let you know how that goes. And as a matter of fact, I was going through our church giving from last year this week and got the numbers. And we gave last year almost $120,000 to ministries and charities, which is more than 12% of our budget. We could hire more staff. And God knows I want to. I feel like I need to. Uh, We could do more improvements on our facilities. Some of you are thinking it's about time. Maybe we will. Well, we will. But as a church leadership team, We've decided to prioritize other things outside the scope of our local church first and trusted God to provide as we do that. And you know what? He has. You know that nice new parking lot out there many of you drove up, on, up, up in today? You know, for the last few years, it's obviously been a train wreck. It's been terrible. Ladies, I'm sorry for that. Thank you for not sending me the doctor bills for your sprained ankles, for the heels that you wore as you walked in. I know you complain about it. That's all right. I would too. I did. And I complained to Jesus. I said, Lord, we need a new parking lot. Help us, Lord. We need a new parking lot. Every day I'm out of my car. I know we can just take the money that we give the missionaries and causes. We could just give that and make a new parking lot overnight. But we didn't. We're going to trust you. And you know what? About a year and a half ago, our friends over at Bavarian Motor Works, BMW, called us up and said, hey, can we lease your lot during the week? We said, you can for a price. And we made it worth our while. And now a year and a half later, we've got a brand new parking lot, 100% paid for, not from this church, but from a neighboring business. And we're glad to have them. Glad to have them. Missionaries were supported, other causes were funded, and God provided for his church. How good is our God, right? And so this morning, with all this in mind, I'd like to do for one what we wish we could do for all. And I'll set it up with this question. What if one time a year we could collectively pool our resources and give it away that impacted an organization in an unforgettable way? We started doing this last year. We're calling it our Live Big Sunday. What if we gave to something outside the scope of our local church, had nothing to do with us in a way, so generously that it changed the course of that ministry or organization? What if we raised so much money over time? We did better than the federal government. And we started creating jobs, right, in certain sectors. What if we lived big for just at least one day and started just giving it away? Wouldn't that be amazing, huh? Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't that feel good? It would. What if that, wouldn't that put hope in your heart? God's at work in his church and in his city. And so this morning, I want to do just that. I want to invite you to do for one with me on one day 
at one time. Today, I want us to raise $15,000 for this organization. It's called Breath of Life Ministries, which works with mothers in difficult pregnancy situations. And here's why, honestly, we like Breath of Life. When it comes to pregnant women in difficult financial situations, most many in the church could say, you know what, just the message is don't abort, don't abort, don't abort. Great message. But what about after they have the baby? Hmm? What's going to happen to the mom and the baby afterward? What we love about Breath of Life is they don't choose. They say, we're going to give prenatal care and postpartum support, educational training, financial giving, paying the bills, vocational training. 90% of these women are homeless. The other 10% are far below the poverty line. You may be asking, well, Morgan, why aren't we raising this for something of our own needs in our own church? Listen, we do have a benevolence budget. Part of every dollar that you give goes to helping needs here and paying the bills of folks in our church who struggle. But these women are in an unbelievably difficult situation. And we, 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 we can make a big difference in their lives by showing up with a check for at least $15,000, specifically for a need they have called Sarah's House. It's the maternity house where the women live as they're pregnant and after they give birth. Now, the total needed to run the ministry here is $50,000, $50,000. We're hoping we can raise at least fifteen. Last year, we raised 10000 to help some victims of sex trafficking. You gave fifteen. This year, we're going to start the bidding. Just open it at 15000 You know, maybe we can do fifty. Maybe some of you can just stroke a check. We'll talk about what to do in just a moment. You know, make it happen. Listen, these ministries, they work on shoestring budgets because people who are amazing, highly educated, competent people leave the corporate world and go into the, the private sector to give their lives to causes like this. And though we can't do everything for every organization, we can give them a day they won't forget and make a permanent difference in the lives of these women. And if we do this, if we'll do this, church, Paul says this, you reap eternal life. You experience the heart of God in a way that you never could otherwise. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's the ask. We have around 400 adults or so here at CCC. And if every adult here gave this morning just thirty nine ninety five. we could raise $15,000 in one day. Now, some of you may be able to give more, 500, 1,000, five grand, 10 grand, great. You ought to do that. Some of you can give less, and that's okay. There's no guilt here today. If you could, you would. You know, in the past, you have. In the future, you will. But what I am asking every person here to do is this. I want everybody to play. Today, everybody plays. Nobody's on the bench. Everybody plays gets in the game, giving at least thirty nine ninety five a person towards this. Listen, and I'm not asking you to do this. I'm not asking you to pray about it. I'm not asking you to, for, to consider this, to go home and think about it. There's no thinking today. There's no thinking. There's no praying. You know, praying for stuff is what Christians do. It's sort of like the deodorant, you know, spiritual thing. We, we resist it. We keep out the attack, right, on our money. No, there's no thinking there's no praying. There's no considering. If your spouse is, excuse me, if you're here and your spouse isn't great, you get the two have become one. You get to make a decision on their behalf. If you think, man, what about Dave Ramsey? You know, you do that financial peace class. Listen, I called Dave this morning. He's cool with this. He thinks this is a great idea. He says, ignore him. Pay attention to the guy on stage. All right, you can do that. Here, one of three ways this morning. Here we go. Number one, you can give via text message right now. And actually, I was just kidding about the thirty-nine ninety-five. We can only do uh, even dollar amount, so forty dollars. All right, ignore that. Just that last five cents. Put your fingers in your ears. Text at least forty dollars per adult. 
to this amount to 512-960-2003. If you're listening on the podcast right now, this is where you get out the thing God gave you, your smartphone, and you can do this also. Number two, we'll also have people in the lobby with card readers at the table. This can go super fast. You just got to give your name and the amount of the person taking your card. And there might be a short line, but that's okay. Your kids got, might get fussy. That's okay. Actually, the person who's in line behind you will volunteer to watch your kids for you. That's how great this church is, all right? Number three, we'll also pass our plates here in a moment. Now, as the band comes up here, you guys can go ahead and come up. We'll close in just a second. Pass our plates here. You can, for both of you who are here, who carry cash and a checkbook, that's a joke, you can put that in the plate as well. All right. So here's what you're doing, all right? Here's, even if you're a guest today, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to give, even if you're a guest, okay? You may be saying, this, man, does this guy, does he just want my money? Today, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I want us to raise as much money as we possibly can to make a collective impact on a part of our city that's underfunded. And next year, this is what we cast a vision for last year, we're going to do it again. And the year after that, we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again and again and again. And I want us to be known, church, not just for our theology, but for our generosity, for our heart towards the city. I, wanna, I don't want to be known just for what we're against, but what we're for as a local church. And here's our promise, all right? Not one penny of this stays here. There's no shipping and handling, no administrative fee, no admin percentage. You're not giving to a church. You're giving through a church today, all right? And we're going to live big today, amen? Because when you live big, you're just giving stuff away. You're just giving it away. And when someone asked you what happened in church today, you said this, I mean, we live big. I live, we live big here at CCC. Think, <coughs> excuse me, of the good our church can do. Think of what kind of church we can be if we were known as a church that didn't come here just to expect to give. Excuse me, expected to receive, but expecting to give. Church, I can't even tell you how excited about this I am. Can't wait to come back next week and give you the big news when we blow way past our 15,000. We'll tell you what happened. Let's just, as this is up here, our band's going to play. They're going to sing for you as you're able. You can join in and sing, and I'll come back here in a moment and close this out.